done fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dolph Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey guys, welcome to episode 320 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. Here's the situation. Uh, we don't have Tracy tonight because uh, she actually had to go to the hospital. This is uh, Sunday as I'm recording Sunday morning. She had to go to the hospital yesterday. Uh, felt really bad. It's uh, heart-related. Uh, I don't think it's anything serious, if you can ever say that about a heart-related situation. But uh, they kept her overnight. A lot of discomfort. They ruled out any kind of heart attack or anything like that. But uh, they do want to keep her another day or two for some observation, do another uh, heart catheterization, check things out, make sure everything is good. Uh, as you guys know, we're actually leaving Friday to go to Miami, so uh, the timing's not really good as far as uh, any time. The timing's never good for this, but as far as uh, this goes, better safe than sorry, so we're getting everything checked out. She'll probably be in the hospital until Monday or Tuesday, and then uh, we'll be able to get back to stuff. But uh, for right now, because she's not here, I don't want to record an, a, a regular episode without her. I don't mind doing shorts and stuff like that, but the regular episode I don't want to do without her. So we're going to play a uh, an episode from our Patreon from a couple of years ago on the Superstition Mountains. It's a, it's a really good episode. I think you guys will like it. Most of you have not heard this. But then also I have a, a full-length interview with Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio. So that would be one that nobody's heard yet. So even if you've heard this one before on Patreon, uh, it's been a couple of years. You probably won't remember most of it. And we've got the interview with Tim Dennis, which was not on there. So something new. So um do want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all you guys, gals, and service animals for everything you do. And I do want to mention that if you're struggling and you want to talk to somebody because times are just tough right now for whatever the reason, please feel free to uh, contact me, uh, whether on Facebook or email or phone. I'll be more than happy to uh, try to talk to you and try to help you get through whatever battle that you're uh, you're dealing with right now. Also, if you uh, need to talk to a professional, you can always uh, call the 988 number. That's the new crisis line number. They will talk to you about anything. You do, do not have to be suicidal to call this number. If you're just struggling for whatever reason, they will gladly talk to you on that line. And you can also text 741-741. And also, this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp.com slash Hillbilly uh, if you'd like to get a more professional help. So... All right, without further ado, guys, here is uh, the episode. You are listening to the Hillbilly Horror Stories Patreon bonus episode. Please welcome your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Pauly. Mm-hmm. 
Hey guys, welcome to the November 2020 Patreon bonus episode. Good evening. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> All right, Tracy, we're going to jump right into this. Okay. Liar. <laughs> what the heck? I just thought that would be funny. So I, know, so I know there are people out there right now thinking, did it just cut off? Or Yeah. <laughs> right. Tracy, there's a mountain range in Arizona that's just east of Phoenix. And they're commonly known as the Superstition Mountains. Hmm. That sounds really interesting. And I cannot wait to hear about it. We'll see. So the area itself <laughs> is known as the Superstition Wilderness Area. And it's uh, anchored by the mountain, obviously. That has the official name of Superstition Mountain. So the biggest legend in this area is that of the Lost Dutchman's Mine. And there's been, uh, I guess there's a TV show probably, I don't know, seven, eight months ago on the Superstition Mountains. I think they did four or five episodes on mm -hmm. one of the channels. And I, I watched some of it. It was just kind of... Get, in, uh, get into no, it too much? it couldn't. It was a little too dramatic for me. But some people really liked it. And that's what it was really based on, was based on the Lost, Lost Dutchman's Mine, which is kind of ironic because the, the mine that they're trying to find, the man wasn't Dutch at all. Well, so <laughs> what was the point of that? I don't know. Anyways, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Now, this one is one of the more popular stories. Uh, we'll get started with and we'll get a little deeper into it a little bit later. But it's the legend of Jacob Waltz. Now, he was a German immigrant and he discovered the mother load of gold, supposedly. He was the only one who knew where this gold was. Then, supposedly, again, on his deathbed in 1891, he told Julia Thomas where this gold was. Now, Julia owned the boarding house that Jacob had lived in for many years. And a matter of fact, most people will say that Julia actually took care of him. Mm -hmm. The Apache believed that the Superstition Mountains had a gateway to hell. They believe that these horrific dust storms, major dust storms they have, because this area is mostly desert, was caused from winds blowing up from the hole. That was a gateway from to hell. From the gateway to hell? Mm-hmm. These mountains are very treacherous. They're like volcanic-type mountains. So everything, all these rocks and stuff are like sharp, jagged, you know, it's just... So people wouldn't try to climb that mountain, I guess. Well, they do try to climb it, but oh. some of them don't survive. Well, why would they do that? Why do they try to climb any mountain? I don't, no, I'll never true. understand it. Corey Daniel is a professional guide uh, in, of the Superstition Mountain Range. He's from the Phoenix, Arizona, which isn't too far away, like I said. And, man, does he have some stories. Oh, man. <laughs> Corey really is an expert when it comes to this area. Now, he says that all geologists agree that the Superstition Mountain Range is the most vicious and roughest mountain range in the lower 48 states. That sounds like it's not a fun thing to do, for sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to criticize something here. You mm -hmm. always hear the lower 48, mm -hmm. which means it doesn't include Alaska or oh, okay. Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know where Hawaii is, but it's lower than the continental United States, which is what it should say. Oh. So I'm just saying, the lower 48. So you don't know why they don't include that? No, I'm just saying, saying, they say the lower 48, but Hawaii mm -hmm. is actually lower then, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. They're lower than the, than the 48 that's in the continental United States. Oh, yeah, Anyways. I hear you. Anyways, just thought I'd nitpick there. 
there is death every year to hikers here oh, at the Superstition sure. Mountains. There's also murders and mysterious disappearances, which if you listen to any of the 411 stuff that we've talked about, the, you know, David Pilates stuff, missing 411, some of those are actually in this area. And the stories of these strange disappearances date all the way back to the Jesuits that were back, you know. The what? The Jesuits, you like, like Catholics. Oh. Like priests and stuff like that. I guess I didn't know that word. Okay. <laughs> well, they're a specific, you know, type. Okay. A Catholic priest. Like, okay. for example, um, Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. area, that, that's a Jesuit university. So, anyway. Well, you know, you have, like, Roman Catholics. And you oh, get, yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. what it is. The Jesuits are a type. Okay. I feel you. Everything in Superstition Mountain centers around either the Apaches or gold. One of the two. Apache Indians? Yeah, well, Native Americans. And goat what? <laughs> and gold. Oh, and gold. Like, yeah, all the stories. I thought you said goat. No, there's no <laughs> goat. Native Americans, excuse me. Yeah. But everything's got to do with Apaches or gold. That's all the stories. So Corey says that it's kind of ironic because regardless of what the legend says, there has never been gold found in Superstition Mountains. In fact, he says that that kind of rock does not allow for gold, according to geologists. Because it's like volcanic rock. So yeah. So it's not your typical type land so why are people still thinking that well we're gonna get into that there's been gold found all around the area so that's part of it in fact there's a small town called goldfield which is was at least one of the richest gold mines in the state that's just right up the road for there and it's now like a um, what do you call it? like a ghost town now though so there's really nothing. but at one point that it was, was booming, huh? that was like the richest mine in all of arizona but Nothing in the mountain range itself. Now, gold hunters have been coming here for hundreds of years. And this range of mountains was known by the Apaches as the abode of the thunder gods. And they still call it that. Now, here's what I find completely fascinating about Superstition Mountain. Climatologists and geologists can't exactly figure out why, but the mountain range makes its own weather. Like... There'll be stuff going on in the mountain ranges that's not happening down on the gro- down on the ground below. The wow, storms, that's weird. It'll, it'll, it's, the storms will change from one minute to this to to peaceful, and then another storm. And it's like nothing else is happening around it. It all happens right there within the mountain range. So during the monsoon season, which is January and February, and then also in July and August, which keep in mind, so you got January and February, then you have four months of drought. And then you got monsoons in July and August and another four months of drought. And it just repeats the whole thing. There are crazy floods. And one of these floods destroyed the town of Goldfield in 1898, which is why it's a ghost town. It literally... Like wiped it out. It wiped it out. Everything that was there. So these floods are because that the mountains were made by volcanoes, so there is no drainage. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Who would have thunk? Yeah. <laughs> so Corey said he's a professional guide hunter, and a botanist, and this is the one mountain range that he refuses to go into alone. (laughs) He said that he backpacks off trail. He's a minimalist all over the United States, but he will not go into these mountains alone under any circumstances. He said there are people who hike these mountains for years and years, and then one day they just wind up dead. So let's go back to the gold. Corey says that 
Most of the gold stories go back to the Peralta family. Now, the Peraltas were here in the mid-1800s, and they did find some gold. The area he claimed to have found gold in is now known as Massacre Ground. Oh, well, that's someplace I want to go and find some gold at. Well, it wasn't called that before. It got called that afterwards. It got its name because Peralta's men, some 400 men, were actually massacred by the Apaches. The Apaches, as we mentioned earlier, called this the abode of the Thunder God. They looked at this area as sacred. It was like a church to them. So they didn't want these prospectors out there looking looking for gold. They wanted them gone. And the Apache told Peralta to leave. He refused. He even told them that uh, they were all Mexicans now. You know, since the land now was under Mexican. This was before the United States was fully over that part. Mm-hmm. And this part of Arizona had been taken over by Mexico. So theoretically, they lived there. Mexico now owned the rights to it. So they were Mexicans as far as he was concerned. And that's what he told them. So as you can imagine, that did not go over well with the Apache. So there's no proof that this actually happened. But the story goes that 398 men were killed right there by the Apache. Two of them tried to escape by going over the mountain and going back to Mexico. One made it and told the story. They tried to get the Mexican government to actually go back there and start mining and, and get the gold, but the Mexican-American War was going on, and obviously the Mexicans had bigger fish to fry at that point, and they mm-hmm. weren't worried about going back and get gold. Twelve years later, the area was uh, part of the United States after they had taken it over. So at that point in time, it just kind of got lost mm-hmm. in the shuffle. So there's plenty of paranormal experiences that have been had by people at the Massacre Ground area. One story says that during the massacre, there were 80 to 100 mules that had saddles that were holding gold on them. That's a bunch of gold. Right. These mules ran off into the desert, and they were never seen again. (laughs) Wait. They ran off without the people that owned them? Well, the people got killed during the massacre. Oh. So they killed the people, so the mules were just there. (laughs) So they ran... Well, that's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not funny. It's not funny. So, man, I got some cancer jokes for you later. That's funny. I'm just thinking that all the. No, I'm sorry, they're all they all died, but (laughs) these mules are probably like hell. Now what we do? Well, I'm gonna tell you what they did. So they ran off into the desert and they were never seen again. Most believe that the Apache captured the mules and either ate them or sold them, and they kept the gold and just kind of piled it all up because they really didn't know what to do with it. They didn't really see the value value of gold. They just knew that white people found it valuable, so they knew they could get something for it down the road. So when the U.S. Cavalry came uh, during the uh, Apache War, the story was confirmed because they found two saddlebags. And there's also rumors that another 9 or 12 were found and the people who found them were able to actually retire from all the money that were in the saddlebags that they found. Well, I'm glad somebody could get some good out of it. Then the area became kind of a killing field down there. So lots of bad people started coming in the area, and, and several people were, like, looking for the gold, and they were killing people that right and left that they thought, you know, might be on to something. Or they, so it just it turned into a really horrific place. So not only was there a massacre there, but then later on, there was also other people killing there because they're just trying to find out where this gold was. It's like an episode of a Little House I watched the other day. So, if I had the gold, I would like just get the hell out of there. 
Well, that's the problem, though. Most people are so greedy. Well, first of all, if you had to go, you had to make sure nobody knew you had to go. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I would have took my gold and went away somewhere else and built somewhere else. Yeah, I think there was probably so close quarters that it was just people knew. If you found something, they just knew because there was always somebody around you digging right next to you or whatever the case would be. There are some skeletal remains that are found in that area on a regular basis, even today. Mm. And most people assume it goes back to the 1800s when this took place. Mysteriously, some men are found without their heads. And then their heads will be found like 10 miles away, wedged in a crack. This is something that happens fairly often there, and they're kind of confused as to why this happens. Some people think that, well, I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but so let's jump back to Jacob Waltz. We talked about him. So his girlfriend was an Apache, and she showed him some type of gold in the mountains. Most people don't know where. Now, he's the one member that kept it uh, to himself until, right. his, until his deathbed when and he then told, told, her. told yeah. Julia. So it may have been a mine. It may have been saddlebags. It might even have been Jesuit's gold. Nobody's really sure what his gold was. So they were pulling gold out of, the, uh, out of there, but nobody knew from where exactly. On his deathbed, he said that the entry to his mind was where the shadow of Weaver's Needle was cast at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. People have been looking for the Lost Dutchman's mind for over 100 years and can't find it. Now, they've looked at every day of the year because <laughs> the shadow at 4 o'clock would be different each day. Cause well, you're, yeah. So they've tried every, every day of the year, nothing. They've even used ground-penetrating sonar. Still nothing. There's been over 300 books written about this lost Dutchman's gold. What if it didn't really wasn't there? It may not have been. But they was getting gold from somewhere. Yeah. But, you know. And that's where the headless people come in. I told you we touched base on that a little bit more. So over the years, since 1891, many people have come here to try to find the gold, and several of their bodies have been found without their heads. People believe that there's a small group of the Pima, which is uh, a Native American tribe, or the Apache that still protect the mountain because it's still sacred to them, remember. And they actually kill people who get a little too close to the caves. Hmm. These stories of caves are really unusual because the Phoenix Herald newspaper had a story about a man that was chasing horses in the mountains during the 1800s. He said he went into a cave and there were copper axes and the bones of seven giants that were eight to ten feet tall. What? All the Native Americans have stories about little people and giants, and in this area particularly, it's primarily giants. They believe that giants were part of the Pimas and the Apaches, and there was a couple other Native American tribes in that area. They believed in, you know, like, Christians believe in like Adam and Eve as creation mm -hmm. or, or even to go back as far as like, you know, God created the, mm -hmm. the, the earth back in Genesis. Well, they believe that giants were actually part of the creation process. Oh. So another story was told by a gentleman by the name of David Hatcher Childress. Now, his friend Robert found a cave and he said it had a hand carved spiral staircase that led to another chamber below. Another story tells about a cave found with a glass skull in it. And they said it was kind of wedged 
in the back and they kept trying to get to it and get to it and eventually they just they couldn't get far enough back there to it but you could see the glass skull kind of wedged in a little uh, area in the back of that cave <laughs> how frustrating they must have been there's a lot of talks of portals in that area most native americans believe in portals to the other side yeah, they also believe that we were put here by star people you'd be surprised how many native americans believe in aliens they don't believe in a lot of a lot of them don't believe in the the God process that Christians or Jewish or or uh, some other religions would believe in. They believe we were put here by aliens. Hmm. And yeah. you'll see a lot of drawings and stuff like that, even way before um, any talk of aliens that depict hieroglyphics and stuff like that of aliens and stuff in the sky. And so kind of cool. So let's go outside of the mountain range a little bit. So we're gonna pop over to Tucson, Arizona. That area has a mountain named Mount Graham. On top of that mountain is the largest observatory in the entire state. Would you like to take a guess who owns that observatory? I have no clue. The Vatican. Oh, I would never have guessed that. There's a lens up there on that observatory called the Lucifer lens. Ooh. Now it breaks down. I don't, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's like the lens under, you know, whatever the, each word or each letter, mm-hmm. but it spells out Lucifer. That mountain range is also sacred to the Apaches. So the Vatican collaborated with the university of Arizona to build that observatory up there. And it, it went to court because the Apaches fought it, but the Vatican has a lot of money <laughs> and and they battled it in court for about a year. And the Apache said that the area was a center for power, which is why the Vatican wanted it. So, I mean, you got to think about this. Why would the Vatican want to build an observatory on top of a mountain range? or on top of any mountain in the United States. What would the Vatican have to gain by that? So you gotta, you kind of got to wonder if the Apaches felt like that there's something really going on there, some kind of power, whether it be God or Satan or whatever it is. The Vatican obviously believed there was something yeah. there too for them to want that so bad. Yeah, that's true. I think I would believe the um, Native Americans, right? Yeah, I mean it's, but I, I just, mean, it's, I just think it just, it's just a really weird mm-hmm. situation. You know, the Vatican's got all those vaults and mm-hmm. you know, miles and miles of underground vaults where they keep all this stuff that they don't let anybody see. So who knows? There's another mountain range that's just southwest uh, corner of Phoenix Mountain. Uh, it's called the Mountain of the Stars. It's got a different name. Uh, it's an Apache name, but it translates to Mountain of the Stars. But I was going to butcher the. Oh, that sounds pretty, though. The Pimas and, and the Hela tribes, they both said that this range is full of portals and that the gods would come through there. So that this is why this mountain range there is sacred. Now, Corey said that when he was a uh, cowboy back in the day, he met an old, very old, blind prospector. His name was Jim Miller. And he said Jim told him that a man in 1980 told him that he ran a mile up into the Aquarius mountain range 
in the western part of the state in the 1950s, he said it was. And he would see a portal open up at ground level, and then he would throw rocks into it, and they would just disappear. He would throw them into the portal. And he said he never could get his nerve up to jump into the portal himself. What the hell? Why would he do that? <laughs> well, he had a plan that he was going to tie a rope onto a chicken and then throw it into the portal. And if the chicken came back, okay, that he was going to try it itself. But he said the portal never opened up again after that for him. Or at least he never um, saw it open up sounds again. Sounds like that's a good thing for him. <laughs> So the older people, especially the Native Americans, will tell you that these stories about the Superstition Mountains, and it plays heavily into the creation story, like we said earlier. They all center around giants and floods, and there's one section of the mountains that it's kind of, it's it's left up to, you know, I guess everybody's perception, but, you know, like you can go into caves, and they have what they call cave bacon, where it's like little strips of rock that that are wavy, but it mm-hmm. kind of looks like a piece of bacon. Mm-hmm. So they call it cave bacon. Well, on the side of one part of this mountain, it l- kind of looks to be like three or four people kind of standing in a row. Mm-hmm. And the story is that those are actually giants that froze right there as they were going up the mountain to avoid a flood. And for some reason, they just froze right there. It's obviously just rock formations. But that's what the the Native American legend is. Is that? Oh, I bet that's cool to see. I looked at it. It didn't look. Didn't look like it. If you hadn't told me that's what it was, I probably wouldn't have guessed it. But I could see it after Mm -hmm. after they said it. In the 1980s, there was a woman who was rock hunting up in Boulder Canyon. She stepped into a cave. She said when she came out, a reptilian creature stepped in front of her and shined a bright light on her. The next thing she remembers, she was on a table in some type of a craft, and these things were taking advantage of her. <laughs> so there's a bunch in her more dreams. To, there's a bunch there's a bunch more to the story, but I'm gonna actually tell this complete story as a whole episode. Trust me, there's a lot to this story. And uh, we'll do that at a later time. Did so she enjoy of, it? I don't think she did. Oh. But she's been telling the same story for 30 some odd years and she sticks by 100% this is what happened so I'm going to try to get her as a guest oh good lord that's what I'm holding off on alright so what's Corey's thought about what's going on here he said that the mountain range has always been a focal point of paranormal activity he also knows that the government mysteriously just turned around and made it into uh, a state wilderness area which he found was was odd. So he said, look, here's Yellowstone and here's Yosemite and all these places that have paranormal activity and mysterious disappearances. And there's about 60 areas that are designated as wildernesses wildernesses as as well as like uh, state parks and stuff around the country. He said "In, in all of these wilderness type areas, you can come in as a person hiking, you can come in on horseback, but you cannot come in on any motorized vehicles, period. They will not allow planes and helicopters to fly over. The only time a helicopter can come in is if it's an emergency situation where they got to rescue somebody. So they won't let anything motorized fly over top. They won't let motorized vehicles in. How can Even, they stop somebody from flying over top? Well, I mean, they don't, I, I don't guess there's a whole lot of, 
I don't think they're talking about like commercial planes. Oh. You know, that would be t- they're you mean talking like about little... private planes yeah, okay. and, and stuff like that. Matter of fact, when they have to have work done, like when they come in there to have to saw down a tree or something, they are not even allowed to use electric chainsaws or anything. Why? Well, that's the question. Why? Why is that the case? But that's the case in all these wilderness spots. What well, just so happens, all these wilderness spots are just like the same types of places where, where these people go missing and they have all this strange paranormal activity and Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings. So he seems to think that this is just a way of the government trying to maybe cover something up. Because if you've got something in this area happening and you don't want people to see it, what's the best way to control it? Government makes it a government property, and now all of a sudden, they control everything that goes on. So that's kind of what he thinks is going on in these places. He thinks that these places have magical powers of some some kind of sort, and the government is trying to keep people from realizing what's going on in these places. And he's not the first person to say that all the time. So, Corey said he used to work at the Yabapai Reservation, and he talked to a medicine man there. And the medicine man said that he didn't go out at night because of the little hairy people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he said that he thought he thought that the things that were going on, at least there in the uh, Superstition Mountains, were more because of electrical fields. He said there used to be a lot of power in Phoenix. And when he says power, he's not talking about electric power. He's talking about, like, spiritual power. And he said, but as Phoenix got big and they started putting up electric lines and stuff like that, that forces the spirits out into the wilderness. And lo and behold, they ended up right there where Superstition Mountains have just gotten bigger and bigger. He said people come to the wilderness to unwind and decompress. And that's because of the lack of electricity. He said that's, you know, you've noticed how people want to get away from the city and get to nature and yeah. they just feel better. It's that amount of electricity that's Off in the, the city kind of, you know, adds to the problem. Yes. And then when you're away from it, mm-hmm. everything, your body's able to just go into to its natural self. He said the lack of electricity allows spirits to be able to come and go in their area. And we'll end on this. So Corey, like I said, he said he this is the one place he will not go by itself. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked him, what was the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? He said he was on Boral Creek. He said there's a lot of death that happened in that area. People disappearing, stuff like that. He said it was 2 a.m. He was taking a break. He was tired. He said it was uh, about three-quarter of a moon out, so it was pretty light. Mm-hmm. He said it felt creepy. He felt like he was in danger for whatever reason. He had a dog with him, but the dog was staying under the truck. He said he looked left, and he felt like something was bearing down on him. He did like a martial arts tuck and roll Mm -hmm. type thing. And he said (laughs) when he got back up, he had his knife. And he said that... He heard the thing buzzing, like as it went by, he could he could, could feel it. Yeah, just kind of feel it and hear yeah. the buzz, like a you know a moth or something like that buzzing by a fly or something like that. He said it went out about thirty yards. It was some kind of a creature that had wings or something. He said, but it was like a humanoid type feature. He said it went out about thirty yards and just kind of hovered. He said it looked like the thing off Lord of the Rings that rode the dragon. If that gives you any idea. He said it just watched him for about 20 or 30 seconds. And then it just flew off. And he said that was the scariest thing that he's ever experienced out there. 
Man. You know when that dog ain't coming out from the truck, something's up. No. Now, we got a, um, the story that we're going to do this this Sunday for the regular show. There's a story about a dog on a ship on mm-hmm. that one that's pretty cool. Yikes. So, there you go, guys. That's your bonus for this this month. Hope oh, you enjoyed. That was scurry. I like the Superstition Mountains. I've, mm-hmm. I've actually um, I've been wanting to do a show on that for a long time, and I, I was... It's, it's believe it or not research for that on the paranormal part or the the scary parts are hard to find you can find a lot of stuff about the gold but you can't find a lot of stuff about paranormal happenings for whatever reason yeah. even though everybody says it's paranormal right. you can't find hardly any stories on it so it's i, I got lucky and ran ac- i ran across something at one point and then i lost it mm-hmm. and then i was able to find it again it's literally been 6 months later <laughs> yeah since Dag i found on. it it's probably actually been longer than that, to be honest with you, because the first time that I saw it, I was exercising out in the garage, and I know I was still working mm-hmm. at the rental company, and I left there in February. So oh, yeah. it's probably been it's closer to been a long. year. Yeah, so. definitely. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we're excited to get you the other episode Sunday night. I think you'll like it. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we will be back with the ever-popular Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio. Hey, guys. Obviously, we love to bring the uh, the best and the brightest of podcasters to you every time that we get the opportunity. And uh, we tried to make this work for a while now, but I'm excited to have Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio on. Tim, thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, it's not for not trying. I've, I've wanted to join you for a while, Jerry. It's just been stuff on my end, but I'm so glad that I'm here with you now. Well, that's what happens when you're a big time superstar in the paranormal oh, like Tim Dennis and the wrestling world and everything else you got your hand in. <laughs> you do a lot of regular uh, radio DJ and still too, though, don't you? Yeah. As a matter of fact, as we tape this uh, tomorrow morning, I'll be up at uh, KNSI up in St. Cloud and I'll be doing my regular Saturday morning shift, uh, just reading sports and weather and, and uh, you know, just hosting. Yeah. My normal Saturday morning stuff. So for our new newer podcast listeners like myself, I, I didn't start listening to the podcast till six, seven years ago. I found Darkness Radio right off the bat. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, anytime you do a search for paranormal on on podcast, it's just one of the the few that pop up immediately, always gonna be the case. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware until really listening to all the back episodes and stuff like that, that it actually started off as a radio show. Oh, yes, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you guys, you you and Dave, were able to turn uh, Paranormal into a radio show that people actually listen to because Coast to Coast was kind of the only thing that I really knew of back in the day that was paranormal related. And hell, you had to you know be up late at night in order to even listen to that. And there were no podcasts. So if you didn't listen to it live, you weren't going to listen to it. So what, tell me how it, uh, how it all got started. You know, what's interesting, Jerry, is is when we started in 2006, there were podcasts, but they were considered by the radio industry to be throwaway, just kind of giveaway type things um, because they didn't they didn't think that that people were actually listening to these things. It was just kind of go to your computer, hit your dial up Internet or your your barely high speed Internet. And as kind of a gimmick. uh listen to the show as a replay 
You know, they didn't they didn't think that too many people would take advantage of it. They had no idea what the power of this thing really was. So and and really until 2017, they still had no idea. iHeartRadio had no idea when we left iHeartRadio in 2017 what it could do. They just knew that they had to focus on digital. Um, so in 2006, we knew that we had to have a digital component, mainly because at the station we were at, KLBB, uh, it was a it was a daytimer, which means it, it was an AM. So when the sun goes down, uh, literally that line from Reed Hagen at, in the in the theme, uh, the power goes down. So you you lose power, you lose wattage, you lose reach for the for the radio station. So you go from about you know a fifty thousand watt uh, you know daytime to a little under ten. You know you're not really reaching where you're supposed to reach you barely get around the twin cities metro area so of course we're on at night so we're we're at a little bit of a disadvantage we we want to be able to reach people but what's nice is in the summertime when when the air is is uh nice and clean or even in the winter time actually it's better in the winter than the summer you really reach a far distance when you get that cold crisp air so we were finding we had some interesting listeners from further away in the Twin Cities than we thought we had. But then we started to notice something. Just in the first few months that we were putting out these podcasts, and that was we were getting people not just from Wisconsin or Illinois or North and South Dakota, our neighbors around us, but we were getting people from New York, Texas, California, and then all of a sudden we had this huge audience in Australia and we're like, Australia, what are you doing listening to a Minnesota show in the United States in Australia? We had a huge following in Australia the first couple of years. And we figured out that this World Wide Web really was worldwide, which was kind of cool. Um, and we we really did discover early that there was no such thing as a throwaway podcast. Now, there were I think four or five podcasts of which one of them is still around on a regular basis. That's spooky South coast. That's Tim Weisberg show. Yep. Tim's Tim's show is pretty cool. Pretty yeah. Cool. And uh, in fact, I just spoke with him at Michigan Paracon last weekend uh, as we record this. So, and, and we did 16 years of, of paranormal radio and, and silly, scary type stories and, and, and it was it was a really cool presentation. But podcasts really were a throwaway thing. So much so, are you ready for this? I'm going to blow your mind here, Jerry. Ready for this story? I'm ready. Mutual friend of Dave Dave and I who uh, from college who ended up being a a programmer for MTV. MTV and and other other networks, radio networks. He ended up uh, going to a, a national public radio conference. And you know the show Car Talk? Yes. Okay. So he said, he, he went in front of these programmers and said to them at the time, this is the early, uh, I, I'm sorry, the mid 2000s. So right around the time that we're talking about 2005, 2006, gets in front of this conference and says, you know, if you just charged 99 cents a month, just 99 cents a month for car talk, a month's worth of car talk, you would bring in an additional $1 million to national public radio. Now to us, that's, 
that's not a radical suggestion right. at all, right? He got booed off the stage at a national public radio symposium of local and state programs. Booed off the stage, Jerry, for suggesting something that is not unusual for us. We call it Patreon now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all the streaming services and everything now. People just expect to pay something to, to get a monthly subscription to something. But yeah, that was unheard of back then. Yeah. So way ahead of his time. And and we went from having essentially six paranormal podcasts out there in 2006 to it's got to be something to the uh, at the time I had researched it back in 2016. There were 20,000 paranormal podcasts. There have got to be somewhere in the area of 40,000 by now. I would think so. I mean, it's it's boomed exponentially. Now, it's a matter of, you know, you say to yourself, well, it's the Wild West out there. Don't they weed themselves out? Eventually they do. I mean, you know, it's it, it could be, you know, someone comes out with one monthly, weekly, you know, maybe a couple times a week, whatever. Some people sign on with networks, some people self-publish, whatever it is. It's never bad. You know, it's just different perspectives. So, you know what? Everybody can get in the pool and play. It's not a bad thing. Competition pushes competition. Yeah, I've always said that. Uh, what is it? Uh, a rising tide raises all ships? Exactly. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how it's evolved over the years. Obviously, you know, it started with you and Dave Schrader, and now it's it's uh, you're doing it uh, without Dave for the last couple of years. and you know, so that's the obvious change that people will point to. But tell me about the difference in like guests that you guys were getting in the beginning, how many episodes uh, a week you were doing, as opposed to how it evolved and the type of guests you were getting and how many episodes a week. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So in 2006, um, we've, we've pushed it over the years. Um, and we've, because of how fluid radio can be and radio programming can be, and I'll tell you, uh, radio programmers tend to tend to lay off the paranormal, um, but then they tend to push. Like with Coast to Coast AM, it's always been a Monday through Friday show, and that's the foresight of Art Bell, and then later George Norrie and Premier Radio Networks. Um, they've always made it more of a variety show than a paranormal show. Okay. Just so that they could keep it five days a week overnight. A lot of people I think have this stigma in their mind that it was always a paranormal show and it was four four hours a night of a paranormal show. It never was. Art Bell always mixed in news. There was, there was always something in there to keep it a little bit more mainstream so he could mm -hmm. maintain a presence five days a week. Uh, when you put a paranormal show on radio, they tend to say, well, we'll give you an hour a week or two hours a week. We managed through being aggressive to get two nights a week sometimes, uh, one night a week. Um, when we first started off, we were one night a week, one hour, one night, one hour. Then it was one night, two hours. Then eventually we went to two nights, one hour, two nights, two hours, 
and then as we moved stations, we went uh, two nights, one hour, two nights, two hours. Then it went two nights, three hours. Um, and we just kept getting more and more aggressive as time opened up. And as the program director sits there and sees that we're moving the needle and that we're actually getting ratings. So it's a matter of, you know, how you play in the marketplace as to what dictates how much time you get. That's as far as radio goes. As far as podcasting goes, and this is what I would, I would suggest to future podcasters, never go as far as the material will take you. Okay. There's a reason why it's open-ended. Um, there's never, I've, I used to maintain with Dave, when I would sit down with him, I'd say, there's never a guest that's intriguing for more than an hour. I take that back now. There's never a guest that's more intriguing than how far you can take them. You that's know, true. there's, there's an internal clock inside of you that tells you when you've reached that point, you know, when, when you've, when you've mined that person as far as you can take them then you know it's time to wrap. Um, and everybody's got a good solid hour in them. I, I believe that. Everyone's got a good solid hour. But but can they go two? Probably not. There's not a lot of people that can go two hours. Uh, Coast to Coast generally has a guest on for two at least. Sometimes they go three or four. Um, but there's not a lot of people who who, who can go two. Um, but with that being said, as far as who dictates time, when it comes to radio, it's ratings. When it comes to podcast, it really is that feeling of how interesting is this material? And it really is that internal clock, I think, by the podcaster or the host is, is this intriguing me or my audience? And you can tell that and you know this, Jerry, you can tell this by the downloads, by the downloads you're getting, you know, is this subject interesting to my audience? I can tell by downloads, not only the subject, but was the person intriguing? And we can gauge from that. It's funny you you bring that up because I've mentioned uh, a few times on the show. Well, first of all, interviews to begin with, you know, when we first started doing interviews and it's not to take away from this one because this one's done a little bit different for a reason. Mm -hmm. But I started all my interviews pretty much like this one. You know, what got you started? What did you think about this? How did you two know each other from the past? And then we started finding out initially people weren't thrilled about those type of interviews. They wanted stories. They wanted to hear more of me say, Tim, tell me about uh, the your favorite guest you've had on the store. Tell me about a paranormal experience you had that brought you into this. Tell me. That's what our guests are like. So we switched the way we conducted interviews based on the feedback from our audience. Um, sometimes it's still better to do it that way. And today is one of those days where I think it is better to just do more a straight up interview than mm -hmm. in those cases. But some guests don't have the background that you've got to talk about it this way. People care about a show that's been out for 16 years on how the hell it got to be a 16 year show. People care about that. Not everybody cares about a basic ghost hunter from, you know, a, a small town that they've never heard of. They want to hear the stories. So it really does depend on the guest as to what you can get away with that the people will be willing to listen to. I'm sure. Mean, 
But I think it's our job as hosts too to get your audience invested in that ghost hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to find an angle in their sto- story to get our audience invested. Um, you know, and 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 in that there's there's the stories they bring to the table, and then there's their personal story. So yeah, I mean, it, it's more than just how did you get into the paranormal. It's it's why it drives you. You know what drives you to keep searching for you know this this answer as to what's on the other side. So if you can if you can find that little spark that's inside them, then that opens up an entirely different story in which you can tell that story over and over and over again. That that spark that's inside everybody is the most intriguing story you can tell. Um, you know, as we we've we've all heard pretty much the same ghost story over and over and over again. You know, whether it be something moved in the corner or there's a shadow person here, or you know, right. I mean, you know, we've all heard these lady in white. Stories. Yeah, lady in <laughs> white. We've all heard them over and over and over again. There's nothing new. Um, but it's the human interest or the spark in each and every investigator, each and every person that has these experiences that keeps us riveted. So that's the stories that I like to go after. That's what I like to to talk to people about is their personal interactions with these spirits. Well, see, and that that leads me into uh, this next question. Mm -hmm. You know, we do usually one guest a week. Uh, because we only put out the one main show that has a guest to it. And it's not very hard, but it still can be challenging to find a really interesting guest that you think your audience is going to love for that week. You guys are doing several guests every week. How does, how do you, how are you able to, I guess, a vet and come up with so many interesting guests over such a long period of time, you know, it's just, it seems almost impossible to find that many interesting guests, but you guys seem to do it. It's a grind. We've, we've slowed down quite a bit too. I mean, and we've diversified too. So it's, uh, it's less than what you think now. So now on Tuesdays, there's true crime Tuesday. So that's a different genre on Wednesdays. It's supernatural news and parish airs. So now we're, you know, we're, we're wanting to hear the audience's experience and we want to interact with our audience a little bit more. And we're, we're kicking back and having a little more fun on Wednesdays. Um, and then on Thursday, that's when we really get to the heart of an interview subject or, or someone that we want to, you know, tackle. And a lot of times it may be a paranormal, I don't want to use the word expert. I hate the word expert. Um, <laughs> it may be a, a paranormal contributor. It may be um, an author. It may be uh, you know, it may be someone like it could be anybody from John's office to uh, your local, you know, paranormal investigation team. Uh, or it could be uh, it could be a medicine man who's had an unusual experience in the middle of a desert with a UFO. Um, it, it just could be anyone. And it could be anything from a tip that you guys give us to, you know, I, I read an article online and I said, you know what? I got to find this person and I got to go after him. It's just a matter of, of, you know, where the, the mood takes me, you know, and, and who, who I go after. Um, there are all different 
you know, everybody's had some sort of experience. It's a matter of, can I flesh this out? And is it interesting? And have they had more than one, you know, and is it intriguing? Is it going to be intriguing to you? If I'm sitting here and, and, and I'm putting together a, um, a program, I'm thinking, I'm not thinking, is this interesting to me? I'm thinking, is it interesting to Jerry and the rest of the crew, you know? So I'm, I'm thinking as I'm putting together this program, is this going to be something that my listeners want to listen to? And, and as, as we've learned over the years, you know, when you've got that topic, you know, yeah. you, you just yeah. know this is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some really bad stuff pitched to me and I've just said, thanks, but no, thanks. I, <laughs> and I'm very respectful every time. It's just, no, you know what? We're going to pass. It's uh, and you, you do get a lot of things pitched to you. Don't I mean, it's trust me. If, if I wanted to just put on everything that got pitched to me, Jerry, you would hear a terrible program. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we get, you know, and I, it's nothing against authors, but, uh, we get a lot of authors that say, Hey, I've got this book that just came out. And sometimes the book just, you, you just know, it's not going to resonate, you know, with, with the, the, the listeners as much as some of the other books, you know, I, I've had all several authors on, mm -hmm. but it's because I thought what they were, the, the story behind the book was oh, yeah. really good. And I knew there was some stories that they could tell us about why the book came up, came to be you know, that, that would be fascinating. So that's always the case. Um, I, if I'm not sure I'll ask follow-up questions, you know, if I'm like, I don't think this is going to work, but I'll ask, why did you write the book? Do you have any personal paranormal experiences? You know, what have you? And then if the answers come back pretty cool, then that sometimes is the decision maker for me. You know, I, I read every book that comes on the show and it's, it's hard for a lot of a lot of hosts to do that. But the reason I, I do that is because, you know, before Dave was ever on coast to coast AM, I worked with Ian Punnett and I, I engineered for him and I did a little line producing with him. And I did that for about a year, year and a half. And what's interesting about sitting under the learning tree of Ian Punnett is he sits there when he sits with an author, he sits with the book in front of him and he's read the book sometimes twice and he's got post-it notes in every single chapter or end or page of what he wants to ask about that particular book. And he just flips in the, the references of, of what he wants to reference about the book. So it, he'll use it as kind of a, kind of a roadmap to the, the interview, but at the same time, it's also a reference point. So like, let's say you're the author here, Jerry, and, and we're talking about your brand new book and it's about uh, malevolent hauntings in, uh, in uh, Kentucky. And I say, Oh, wait a minute. Um, I want to ask you, I, you know, that reminds me, Jerry, you had this experience at Waverly where a ghost picked you up by the big toe and flipped you over. And uh, you say here on page 76 that when they did that, they pulled out your entire nail bed as they did so. When they did that, did they leave the root or not? I mean, it's that specific. 
Well, first of all, that was supposed to be a private story between you and me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's he gets that specific because when when you have first of all the the care behind it is this um if you know that much detail or if you've read that much into a book first of all the author is surprised that you know their their material that much and second you get them to open up and you get so much more out of, out of an interview and it's not an interview at that point it's conversation Right. That's the key. I think that's that's a, kind of what I was wanting to say earlier. Our, our listeners don't like interviews. They like conversations. Yeah. And I think that's that's technically more the yeah aspect that I was I was alluding to. Yeah. So. I guess let me lead into the what I probably should have led with. OK. What started your interest in the paranormal? What got you uh, so fascinated to where eventually you host? a show talking about the paranormal. Did you have personal experiences or just a fascination? Well, I, I've always had a fascination from when I was young, you know, I had things come kind of full circle when I went to Michigan Paracon um, last weekend. It's kind of ironic that this is coming up. Um, when I was young, I had an out of body experience really young. I was probably nine, 10 years old. And that very first paranormal experience, I was floating on the ceiling of my grandpa Trombley's hospital room and he had had uh, jaw cancer. So he had had his, his jaw removed uh, a few years before he died. And he used to stuff tissue in his mouth because he, he drooled and he didn't like the, you know, the outward drooling and he couldn't, he couldn't communicate with us because of course you can't talk really when you, when you don't have a job, he used to scare the hell out of my sister. She used to run, <laughs> she used to run from him uh, crying because she, she thought, you know, like my, my great grandfather was growling like a monster. Um, but I learned to listen to him and, and know what he was talking about. And we would sit and play cribbage. That was his favorite game. And uh, as we're, as I'm sitting on the ceiling, I see my my grandmother on the what would be his right, my left, and my great aunt Patty on his left, my right. And they're each holding a hand and just saying, It's okay, Dad. It's okay, Pa. You can you can go. You know, you don't you don't have to be in pain anymore. You can you can you can go be with Jesus. It's okay. And I'm like, what am I doing looking at this? You know, I just thought this was strange. And I was wondering why I'm on the ceiling. And it was scaring the hell out of me. And I realized he's dying. And I just felt kind of trapped. Well, I wake up out of this dream. Run into my parents' room. I, boom, perfect landing between the two of them. I wake them up. It's Saturday morning. And I said, uh, dad, dad, dad. I said, Grandpa Trombley's dead. He goes, oh, no, honey, Grandpa Trombley's not dead. He's really sick. He's in the hospital, but he's not dead. I said, no, 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 he, he's dead. I, I saw it. I had a dream. I saw it. And he said, well, no, 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 he's not dead, hon. I, I, I assure you, he's not dead. You know, I talked to Grandma last night. He's not dead. Well, as I tell him what's going on in the dream and what I saw, about 10 minutes after I get done telling him about the dream in detail, 
he had a he had a phone in his room. He was a computer programmer, program manager. Um, so he got calls overnight if something went wrong. The phone in his room rang. By the way, it was a princess phone. I don't know why my dad had a princess phone. At the time, but it, it was weird. I don't, weird. Probably came for free from the phone company, but that's beside the point. Uh, so the phone rings, and it's my grandmother, and I can hear her in the you know off the the earpiece telling my dad exactly what I had described to him in the dream. And tears start falling from my face. And I think I killed my grandfather. Oh. Meanwhile, my mom is on the other side going, oh, my baby has ESP. My baby has ESP. <laughs> and here I am. I'm just effed up, Jerry. I, I you know, I, I don't know what to think. And my dad's kind of looking at me a little freakish. Like, you know, I he doesn't know what to think of me. And he just puts his hand over the mouthpiece and goes... Go in the living room, just pour yourself a bowl of cereal and watch cartoons. Let me finish talking to your grandmother. That was it. And we never spoke of it again. And from there on out, it was watching a lot of Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of and trying to learn about what this thing was that happened. And, and of course I grew up Catholic and I was an altar boy for three years. And there was, I knew there was more than what was being said in church. And so I, it was all this that sparked me that said, you know what? I saw more than what they're talking about. And so I just, from there, I took off and started to wanted to know for myself. A young boy with a, with questions. Yeah, and now you probably have more questions. I always have. I always <laughs> have. Even at this ripe old age, I still have a lot of questions. And, you know, it, it's funny because we get emails from listeners who will say, well, you know, if you had more faith in Christ, you'd have, you'd have answers. But I think you can have faith in Christ and still have answers or, you know, questions. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah. it's it's not meant for us to have all the answers, I don't think. It doesn't right. matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. You're just not meant to have all the answers. I mean, if that'd be the case, I mean, we'd figure out why some of the animals, you know, why does a skunk have its defense mechanism as a smell? And why does a porcupine have quills? And I mean, mm -hmm. none of that makes sense as to why the, you know, every animal's different and some, you know, defense mechanisms are better than others. And I mean, none of it makes sense. And you're I never going to know the answer to that. Right. I've watched men who have faith in Christ completely obliterate demons in front of my very eyes. But yet, um, but yet I, I, I can't tell you what happens when we, when we die. I had my uncle David come forward in a, in a, dream visitation and tell me, you know what, kid, you'll, you'll find out when you get here. <laughs> Every, it's different for everybody, but you know, and I believe that I do think it's different for everybody. But, yeah. You know, like I said, that's just my belief. Yeah. So All right, let's, let's end on a couple of quick things. Sure. Now these are rapid fire questions. Okay. First of all, you're a DJ. Mm-hmm. Four or five of your favorite all-time bands. Doesn't have to meet in any specific order. Just hey. 
Who are your, who are some of your tops? Uh, Rolling Stones, Van Halen, Ice Cube, NWA, Public Enemy. Uh, David Bowie. It's quite the uh, the vast variety there. Oh, and BB King, and Al Green. There you go. You got you pretty now, much got my. Uh, now it got even more diverse. <laughs> you yep. start throwing in some blues and some Motown. <laughs> yep. But in all honesty, I love every one of those. I'm I'm the same way. I'll I'll you know I'll listen to some Elvis uh, gospel music, and the next minute I'll have NWA on. You know, yep. it was it's just music is uh, it, is my favorite thing in life, I believe. So it, it, it's, it's, there's an answer in some type of music. If you're looking for it, that's mm -hmm. just uh, my belief. All right. If you had to choose between paranormal and wrestling, what would your choice be? Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> I really is a tough one. You know what? There's certain listeners that would tell you I'd pick wrestling in a minute. Um, but that's, that really is a tough one. You know, I'll tell you this much. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but really quickly, you would not believe the connection between the two. I've found this out within the last few years. There's a strong connection between the two. In fact, I'm going to do a show on it here uh, relatively soon. That's interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to definitely tune in for that one. Yes. But put it this way. One of the most popular characters in WWE, the Undertaker. That's true, mm -hmm. but that's not exactly paranormal. That's well, think about it. It deals with death on the other side. All right. I think it's a bit of a stretch, but I'll give you that one. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, but, um, but you wouldn't believe how many wrestlers. I, I, I could tell you this, Jerry. I, you wouldn't believe how many wrestlers listen to Darkness Radio. Oh, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. A, a, a good, uh, I wouldn't say good friend of ours, but a friend of ours and an inspiration to us in the podcasting game is uh, Matt Jones up here, but he, he is a co-owner of uh, OVW Wrestling. There you go. Uh, see? Here in town. And, uh, but he, he doesn't believe in the paranormal at all. He'll He's the farthest uh, from paranormal as you'd ever get. But um, yeah, so I mean, but I know a lot of the, li uh, the wrestlers listen to a lot mm -hmm. of paranormal stuff. All right. Last okay, question. Wait, if I had if I had to pick one, well, I was letting you off the hook because I figured you wouldn't. Oh, okay, pick okay, one. let me off the hook then. Let me off the hook. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 take a flyer on that one. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? My guess is it's probably a musician, just because of being in the radio industry. Am I right or wrong? Hmm. You might be wrong. Uh, trying to, oh gosh, I met so many people. Um, you know, I probably, I start saying it could be a wrestler. Come to think of it. <laughs> no, 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 it's not a wrestler. No, uh, I, um, you know, I've worked on, people are going to roll their eyes now. I've worked on both sides of the aisle, uh, as far as political talk radio goes. Mm -hmm. uh, I've met vice president Walter Mondale. That was a while ago. Uh, actually it was, it was, uh, only about 20 years ago, but it was backstage at a, at a, at a, uh, show. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I was working, <laughs> you're going to laugh when I tell you this, I've met Al Franken as well. It was when, it was when he was doing his radio show, I was engineering 
uh, he did a he did a show at the uh, Pantages Theater, and I was engineering that show back when he was on Air America Radio. Uh, I got paid quite handsomely for that show too. Um, and on that show were REM. Um, Al uh, Al was on the show, of course. Uh, Walter Mondale and uh, his writing partner from SNL, Tom Davis. But I'm, I'm trying to think as far as famous, famous. Um, I mean, I know a lot of music DJs get a chance to yeah. go to a lot of shows and stuff. So I thought maybe you'd probably, you know, got to introduce one of the big, big names or maybe a U2 or, you know, Bono or The Edge or something. Uh, met Hank Williams Jr. once. Well, that's pretty cool. Hank's cool. Um, Clint Black, I've met him. I, I was working country radio and I've met any, I've, read, I've met anybody who's anybody in country. Um, trying to think of, uh, wow. I, there's so many Jerry. I don't, I, I, I don't want to brag though, but <laughs> I can't nail are, you sure, are, you, are you sure you don't want to brag? <laughs> no, no, I know. <laughs> Faith Hill. Oh, that's a pretty big one. Yeah. Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. I've met them both. Um, I met Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis at the Super Bowl. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yep. They produced Janet Jackson. Yeah, that goes back. All right. So tell everybody how they can keep up with uh, everything that's Tim Dennis and Darkness Radio and everything else you got going on, Tim. Sure thing. Well, here's the whole rundown, Jerry. Uh, first of all, you can subscribe to Darkness Radio wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, wherever. If you're having a hard time trying to figure out where you can get us, here's the deal. I just launched a brand new site, subsite, website called darknessradioshow.com. It's real easy. Darkness Radio. What are we? We're a show. Darknessradioshow.com. Um, <laughs> you, it's right on the front page here. You just click on wherever you want to uh, subscribe to us, or you can just grab the RSS feed if you want. Um, on there as well is uh, a blog, a little bit of bios on us. You can even click on a little button where you can leave us your parashare stories, your voice notes. So we'll take nice. those live on air. Uh, it's a two minute loop. So if you need a little bit more time than two minutes, you just hit the button again. I'll edit it together and we'll play your uh, story on air and Bruiser and I will uh, weigh in on it. Uh, as I mentioned, we do have a brand new co-host, Beer City Bruiser. Uh, Mally Fox does come on from time to time as well. Uh, and so does Jessica Freeberg. So there's a brand new, uh, brand new crew over there at darkness radio. Um, you can, uh, as well, we've got our, uh, we've got our social media up on darknessradioshow.com. Um, hit me up on social media, by the way, I, I don't have all my contacts information here, but darknessradioshow.com If you want to get my socials, um, but I, by all means, I'm very approachable. I, uh, I I love new friends, so come get me. I can, I can vouch for that. Yeah, come get me in uh, in and be my friend. I'd like you to be my friend. So, all right, thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. everybody. Go listen to Darkness Radio if you haven't listened to it already. I don't know what country or planet you're from because I think everybody's heard of it at this point. If you're listening to this show, surely you've heard of Darkness Radio. But go listen. Give them a five-star review and make sure you tell them that you heard about them here on Hillbilly Horror Stories. So thanks, Tim. I appreciate it, buddy. 
Thank you, Dre. I appreciate you, brother. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for bearing with us. Uh, like I said, this was completely unexpected and I uh, just had to rush and kind of throw this together, but I didn't want to leave you guys with no episode tonight. I hate doing two episodes out of three where we had to pull from the uh, Patreon and I give you a brand new, but with us being on the cruise in two weeks, we won't be here to do it. And uh, But everything else during the week that we're gone on the cruise will be new stuff because I've been pre-recording stuff as we went and uh, still have a few more episodes to record this week to get it all together. A couple of uh, macabre misfortunes to record that you guys are really going to like. A bonus episode we start to record for uh, Patreon listeners that is due out on uh, the 15th. So we got a lot of recording still to do, uh, but um, you guys are going to get plenty of new stuff. There won't be hardly anything recycled during this trip, So uh, other than the Sunday episode two weeks from now. But all right, guys, thank you so much. We love you.